Thank you very much. Do you know something? When we said, I know we've been saying this on a weekly basis, the creed, and we did this morning uh, in Wickham at the 9.30 meeting, and as we were saying it, I just, I don't know whether it was a revelation, or I just was really grateful to the Lord that I was able to say that with conviction. You know, I could say those truths. Why could I say those truths? I'll tell you why. Because God opened my eyes to see the wonder and the splendor and the glory of who he is. And if you were able to say those words this morning with any sense of conviction, it's, mir- it's a miracle. It's a miracle when you think about it. Of all the people on the face of planet Earth, why you? Why are you able to say those words with conviction? It's because the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. And the Holy Spirit has revealed something incredibly uh, amazing and life-changing. And uh, it just struck me afresh as I was saying, because sometimes we can just say like, repeat the words without any kind of, but this morning I just felt, thank you, Lord, that I can say those words with a sense of conviction about them too. Thank you. So this morning, I'm going to be speaking about the cross, and I'm going to be uh, reading from John's Gospel So let's have a look at the scripture, chapter 19. I'm going to read a fair portion of it, but not all of the chapter. But I'm going to start at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. And now I want to go on to verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. 
A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now verse 38 to the end. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now last week, um, if you were here, you would have perhaps remembered that John Harbour spoke about the significance of Jesus being born of Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit. If you missed that, you can download it from our website. So Jesus, both fully human and fully God at the same time. Now, it's very difficult at times to get our head around that. I was thinking recently when I was on holiday about how in the Psalms it says, you know everything I say before I start the first sentence. It says that in Psalm 139. So think about it. The Lord knows everything I'm going to say before I say it. But it's not just true of me, it's true of you as well. The Lord knows everything that you're going to say before you've said it. He knows what you're thinking, he knows your past, he knows your present. And then I thought, if God knows what I'm going to say before I say it, and God knows what you're going to say before you say it, and there are 7.7 billion, approximately, people on planet Earth, then God knows everything that everybody's going to say before they say it. It's remarkable, and it speaks about something about the greatness and the excellence and who God is. And I was reminded also of a part of a comedy film that I saw a few years ago called Bruce Almighty, where the main character, Bruce, is uh, having a bad time, and he rants against God, saying, if I, if I was doing things, I'd do it better than you. So in the comedy, God decides to give him some power. And the extract that I want to show you this morning, it's very short, is the moment when Bruce wakes up and he realizes that he's been endowed with some of God's powers. So there, he basically is beginning to hear all the prayers that people are making on planet Earth, and obviously he just can't cope with it because he's only human as the song goes. And it's difficult to get our head around God's surpassing greatness. Charles Wesley, in his great hymn, writes, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine." I'm going to consider three things this morning from the passages that I've just read. The first is the cross is mysterious. The second is the cross is foolishness. And the third is the cross is powerful. 
Mysterious, foolishness, and powerful. Let's look at the first one. The cross is mysterious. So Jesus comes as both fully God and fully man. He doesn't have a split personality, i.e. one minute he acts as God and the next he acts as a man. No, no. He is fully God and man in one. That in itself is a mystery. What is God like, the disciple Philip asks Jesus. Show us the Father is his way of putting it. He's really saying, well, what's God really, really, really like? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to see what God is really, really, really like, then look at me because I reveal exactly his divine nature, exactly what he's like. And Jesus always amazes me when I begin to think about him. For example... He's not a publicity seeker. This is amazing. He raises a dead girl to life. Now think about it. If this happened at King's Church Hazelmere and we raised someone to life or there was some other spectacular miracle, I'm sure the news would get out very quickly and uh, you know, we'd probably be putting it on a minimum of the Bucks Free Press and the church website and all that kind of stuff. So Jesus raises this 12-year-old girl from the dead and what does he say? Don't tell anyone. He cleanses a man with leprosy and says to him, Don't tell anyone. He's transfigured on a mountaintop where his clothes are dazzling white and his face shines like the sun in all his glory and God speaks audibly and he says to the disciples, don't tell anyone. Even when he does tell someone when the man who's possessed by many demons and he delivers him, he tells the man to tell others and yet by the time that's happened, Jesus has left the area. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey where many believe in him, but he doesn't entrust himself to them because he knows what's in the human hearts. He knows that one moment the crowd will shout, Oh, Hosanna to the son of David! Welcome! And the next minute they'll be saying, Crucify him! And the first person he appears to after he's been raised from the dead is a former prostitute, Mary Magdalene, whose testimony counted for virtually nothing in those days. And yet he's the one that she's the one he appears to. It's amazing. In verse 10 and 11 in that passage, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus sees a greater power above Pilate. And even when both the Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, gang up against Jesus, they're going to unwittingly help fulfill God's purposes. Jesus could call down a legion of angels to deliver him and strike his enemies down if he wanted. But he comes as a lamb to the slaughter. He allows his own creation to turn against him. Verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. Verse 3, and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. It's very interesting that the gospel writers don't go into the gory details of Jesus' suffering and the barbarism of crucifixion. When you read the stories in the gospel about the crucifixion, they don't really go into it. They're very sparing in what they say happened physically to Jesus. If you've seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, it's very different. In that film, Mel Gibson decides to show in some gory detail the kind of things that would have happened to Christ. That's why it got an 18 certificate. Verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. 
So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Verse 17, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. 18, there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Very sparing. It's mysterious. Mysterious that here God himself comes and sacrifices his life. And Jesus is not out for our pity, but he is out for our response to what he's done. The cross is mysterious because God himself comes. The one who creates the atomic structure of your body. And who breathes life into every living thing. And he allows his own creation to despise, to reject, to curse him. The one who comes and experiences utter abandonment. And a mysterious rupture in the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out. It's mysterious. What's going on there? We don't fully understand all that's happening. But it's an agony beyond all agonies that Jesus is experiencing here on the cross. But it's a mystery. But Jesus goes to the cross willingly. The gospel writer John tells us elsewhere, the reason my father, Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Why does Jesus do it? Well, he does it out of a profound love. First of all, it's a profound love for the Father. Not my will, but thine be done, he says when he is facing the agony of the cross. He does it out of this profound love for the Father, but he also does it out of a profound love for you and me. Something planned from before the foundation of the world. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. The cross is also foolishness. God chooses something that is apparently foolish, the cross. Why? Well, the truth of what Jesus has done on the cross is not apprehended through human wisdom or intelligence. Boy, I'm glad that that's true. You don't have to be a clever clogs to get it. You don't have a lot of wisdom. You don't have to have a lot of wealth in order to grasp the cross. It's foolishness, but it's God's method of choosing For his salvation to come to planet earth. It's not earned by reciting the Old Testament. Or going on a pilgrimage. It's not earned by fasting for 40 days. It's not earned by giving to the poor. It's not earned by a good enough prayer life. It's apprehended by faith. It's apprehended by trusting in what God says. And trusting what he has done. Believing in who Jesus is. And what he's done. Is apprehended by realizing that we can never make ourselves good enough. Most religions of the world call on us to make effort in order to be acceptable to whatever God it is. Or nirvana. If you want to get to nirvana, you have to do this and this, this and this, and this and this, and hope that you get through. No, no, Christianity is not like that. As the psalmist says, he, he lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. And gave me a firm place to stand. He did it. As a young man. Myself. Of 20 years of age. I was not seeking Jesus. But he was seeking me. I didn't even know that I was in the slimy pit. If it wasn't for him. Revealing it to me. Praise the Lord. I'm sure it's true of 
most of you here as well, if not all of you. Verse 14, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. This was a very significant time because the Passover, some of you will know this, but it's helpful sometimes to hear these things again. The significance of the Passover, it was the festival when the people of God remembered their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. So they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they were oppressed by the Egyptians. And Moses comes along, and God sends Moses, and Moses says to the king, to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says yes, and then he doesn't do it. And this happens lots of times. Now finally, the final thing that happens is the angel of death is going to come throughout Egypt. And the angel of death is going to kill the firstborn of every human and animal. But God says to the Israelites, what I want you to do is I want you to kill a lamb, and the blood of the lamb, take some hyssop, and Uh, paint the lintel and the doorposts of your home so that when the angel of death comes, the angel of death will see the blood of the lamb and pass over. So this is the history of it. The blood of the lamb is a sign of God's favor and forgiveness. But of course, the lamb pointed to the one who was called the lamb of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he cried out, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what happened in Egypt with the lamb was only a symbol of what was going to happen later on. A greater thing was going to happen. It was an animal, a little lamb that was going to be sacrificed. The angel of death would pass over. Now the lamb of God comes, Jesus himself, with a greater mission to save the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. So it's far greater what Jesus is doing as the lamb, the ultimate lamb of God. But it's foolishness. How can this be? It's simply a a man dying on a cross and shedding his blood. You might say it doesn't make sense. Well, God decreed that the penalty for sin was death. In the Garden of Eden, they could do what they liked except eat from one tree. And the day that you eat from that tree, Adam and Eve, you will die, God says. That will be the penalty for your sin, for your disobedience to me. And what do they do? They blow it. And that, as our representatives, and John went into this last week, as our representatives, the death that came upon Adam and Eve falls upon the whole human race. And everybody dies. And Jesus comes to undo that through his death on the cross. He's paid the penalty for our sin if we choose to accept it. So what happened? Jesus, it was a physical thing that happened to him. Nailed to the cross, blood shed, he dies. It's a physical thing, but it has amazing and remarkable spiritual implications. Let me give you an example of that. So, for example, in 49 BC, Julius Caesar, who was not the emperor at that time, he was a general, I think, in charge of an army. And he was in a place called Gaul, which was the north of Italy. And there was a border between Gaul and Italy called the Rubicon. It was a river, small river. And the rulers of uh, Italy called Julius Caesar back from his adventures, but he was not allowed to bring his army with him. He had to disband his army and not come across that river with his army. So what did he do? He crossed the river, the Rubicon, with his army. So it was a physical act. He just crossed the river with his army, but it had massive implications. The implications were he was declaring war against uh, the Roman Senate, as it were. And eventually he became the emperor, as we probably know. 
Jesus went to war against the power of darkness and the cross. A physical event, but massive spiritual implications. So the third thing I want to say is the cross is powerful. Verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What was finished? Well, it was the work that Jesus set out to do. To sacrifice his life so that we could be forgiven and welcomed back into the presence of our heavenly father. Very interesting. There was another event that happened when Jesus died and said, it is finished. There was a big curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place in which only the high priest could go once a year. A big curtain. I think it was 30 feet high. And it was thick. And when Jesus died, the the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because it was signifying something. It was signifying that a barrier had come down. A barrier had been torn apart. What was that barrier? That barrier was the barrier between us and God himself. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. And we could now enter into the very presence of God himself. And be fully accepted by him as his sons and daughters. As opposed to being his enemies, ignorant of him, rebelling against him. No, no, no. We're now born of God and welcomed into his family. The power of the gospel. It is finished, Jesus said. What else was finished? Well, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross meant that our sins are forgiven. All my guilt, all of my hidden shame, we sing, died with him on the cross. All my sin, all my shame, all my guilt died with him on the cross. It is finished. Do you still have the ghosts of guilt rising up from time to time? Do you still have the ghosts of shame haunting you from time to time? Do you still have that sense of the sin in your life? Well, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. I'm not saying that we're perfect and everything's going to be fine. We still do things wrong. I get that. We still say things wrong. I get that. We still think wrong things. I get that. But it is finished. All my guilt, all my shame, all my sin, nailed with him on the cross. All. Thank you, Jesus, that when you came, you died on the cross and have liberated me liberated me from that power that held me, from the powers of darkness that held me. You've liberated me from that. You've freed me from that. You've transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you did it by sacrificing your life on the cross. It is finished. I'm no longer an enemy of God, but born again through the will of God into his family. Not based on my merit, but based on the merit of Christ and what he's done. My feet are no longer stuck in the miry clay, but set upon a rock, which is Christ. Do I make mistakes? Yes, of course I do. Do I do it sometimes on a daily basis? Yes, I do. But does that mean that my feet are not on the rock? No. My feet are on the rock. Why? Because I've given my life to Christ. And sometimes when I feel that my grip is tenuous, when I feel that I'm letting go, is Jesus letting go? Is his grip tenuous? No. He holds on to me. Oh, Lord, we sang, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm, you never let go of me. I'm so grateful to the Lord that he never lets go of me. He never lets go of you. Do you sometimes feel as if your fingers are slipping? You're slipping away. Jesus will never slip away. Why? Because he is faithful. It is finished. I've sacrificed my life for you. Do you think I'm just going to give up when there are hiccups along the road? 
When there are difficulties in life, am I going to give up on you? Surely, when I've sacrificed my life for you, how can you even think for a moment that I would abandon you? No, no, no. I'm with you. It is finished. What seemed to be a defeat as Jesus hangs on the cross, and certainly the disciples thought it was, because later on when Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus, they say to Jesus, oh, they don't know it's him, of course, at first. They say, oh, haven't you heard what's been going on in Jerusalem? You know, this man came and he was powerful and he was attested to by God. And we thought, we hoped he was going to be the one who was going to rescue Israel. But, you know, things have turned out really bad. He got crucified. He's dead. They'd lost hope. It seemed to be a defeat. But it was a victory. It was a victory over the powers of darkness. Jesus, untouchable. There was no way that he could stay in the grave. It was impossible for death to hold him. Why? Because he'd never sinned. Death was a penalty for sin. But he had never sinned. So how could death possibly hold him? It couldn't. It was impossible. So when the powers of darkness were singing and rejoicing, as no doubt they were when Christ died, little did they know. That it was a massive blow to them and a massive victory for Christ. It is finished. Verse 41. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Death's stranglehold on humankind will be broken because death cannot hold the sinless one. Jesus has fulfilled all that was written about him in the Old Testament. It's like a massive down payment for you and me. And the psalmist writes it like this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. It is finished. Death will not hold us either. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die... Even though they die, yet they will live. They will live. Because I have conquered death. Praise God. So how should we respond to what Jesus did? Well, the cross demands a response from us. Do you know this morning, I drove into the town center site, and I don't often go there nowadays on a Sunday because I'm based here. And as I was approaching the car park, I thought, oh, great, I've got to pay And I was running just a couple of minutes late. And I was due to pray with John up in his office. His new office, by the way. There you go. (laughs) Well, it's only Neil's old one. And uh, so I thought, oh, great. I haven't got any money. Not realizing that you don't use money. You use a card or a website or whatever it is. I don't know. Anyway, I was in a hurry. And I thought, oh, great. So I asked one of the welcome team if they wouldn't mind doing it for me. So they very kindly did. I was grateful. I oh, thank you very much. Thanks ever so much for doing that. Grateful. Uh, you know, being invited out for coffee from time to time, it does happen. Yeah, I'm grateful. Thank you very much. Or if someone offers to help with the DIY at home. I remember once I was talking about my garden shed and the roof was leaking and someone said, would you like some help? To sort it out. Thank you very much. Really grateful for that. How much more should we be those who overflow with gratitude for what Jesus has done? What do you think? Yes. Do you know what? It was the same kind of response at 9.30. So I had to give them just a wee bit of encouragement. Okay, we should be grateful, shouldn't we? Yes. 
He says, shout to the Lord, all the earth, for a start. I'm not saying we'd be shouting all the time, but a bit of enthusiasm there, isn't there? Shout to the Lord, all the earth. We could even give him some applause. Let's do that now, shall we? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. Hallelujah. Thank you for shedding your blood, your precious blood, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we can be people who are grateful. We can be people who live this new life empowered by the Holy Spirit that isn't so self-absorbed but looks to the needs and concerns of others because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Not just looking to our own needs. Yes, we've got needs, and I'm not saying we don't express that from time to time. That's okay. But generally speaking, you know, looking to the needs of others. Love one another as I've loved you, Jesus says. Are you going through difficulties in your life? Then recognize that Jesus knows and understands so you can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find the help you need because Jesus has done it. It is finished. The way is open, and we can go and get his help. Perhaps you've never yet committed your life to Christ. Well, this is for you. What can you do? Well, this is what you can do. You can surrender yourself to him. I don't understand everything. In fact, I would say my understanding is very small, really. I don't understand the mystery of the rupture and the relationship between Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't get that. I don't understand. But I do trust him. I do give my life to him. I do say, yeah, the cross is foolishness, but nevertheless, it's your way of doing it, Lord, so I'm going to commit myself to you. It is finished, but a new beginning awaits you if you are willing. Amen? Amen. Amen.